We are in part 31 of our series in Revelation. It's a 36-part series, so we're bringing it to a close. How in the world I can take two chapters and make five parts out of it, I don't know. I don't know. That's my spiritual gift, is to stretch things and make them last indefinitely. A lot of us are really excited that Revelation was an awesome book, but can we please just do a different one? I understand that, so we're heading towards that very rapidly. I entitled today's message, The Millennial Miracle. And it's going to involve a very, very difficult concept. But I want to begin with a fill in the blank in front of you. And I begin with a question. Is God faithful to his promises? Yes, Yes, he is. Do you believe that for you? Yes. Do you believe that for not only our nation, but for the nation of Israel? Do you believe that for all of believers throughout time? The answer should be yes. Now, we don't seem to operate as if that is so. However, we've seen that in the Old Testament, God promised things to the Jewish people. He promised something to Anne, who's just some random guy out in the middle of nowhere, came from a polytheistic people, didn't have a super solid foundation. Maybe his dad was solid. I don't know. But God came to him and he said, I want to make you into a great nation. I want to take you into a promised place. Abraham had no idea what that meant. Was God faithful in those promises? Indeed, he was. For out of Abraham came the Jewish people. It seemed that God took him to the most extreme degree where all hope was gone, where impossible was the word of the day. Then at the age of a hundred, he had the promised child, Isaac. He had already tried to do it on his own. He already tried to mess up the plan. But God came through. God always comes through. But as you look through the Bible, there's a lot of promises for you. Promises in the New Testament. Promise of like the enemy would be at some point destroyed. Do you believe that will come true? The book of Revelation says that it is so. Do you believe that it's so? In the Old Testament, there was a lot of other promises, but some of them have not been fulfilled yet. What do we do with those? What do we do with the promises in the New Testament that are yet to be fulfilled? We trust and we have faith that God will come through. But there are some promises, there are some prophecies that just boggle my mind. And I keep wondering, God, how in the world are you going to solve this one? This is bizarre. It's weird. I don't get it. And I don't know how you're going to pull it off. That is where we are going to begin today. But the fill in the blank in front of you remains. It is this. God is forever faithful. God is forever faithful. As we take a walk through the book of Isaiah, would you turn there with me? Isaiah chapter 2 verse 1, page 484. And the Bible's handed to you, 484. Isaiah is right before Jeremiah. Those are two large books. So in the Old Testament, you kind of skim through and you can find one of those guys. But I got to tell you, walking into this message, man, am I in over my head. There are a couple lessons in this Revelation series where I just flat out go, I don't know. This is one of those. If you go through and read this and feel like it's not super clear, it's certainly not clear in my mind. This is, this is something that's far beyond me. As many commentaries as I search, they don't know what's going on either. It's just hard to sort out. But we're going to do the best that we can. We're going to dive into Scripture and keep searching God's Word for clues to be able to find out what He wants for us. 
So we're going to take a walk through the book of Isaiah. Probably don't do a lot of reading in the Old Testament, maybe. Maybe you don't do a lot of Old Testament reading in the prophets. But if you ever do, likely you'll step into the book of Isaiah. It's one of the most popular for sure. But let's kind of read through it together. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1, page 484. Let's see what God has to say. With every passage we read, I want you to ask this question in your mind. Has this been fulfilled? When will it be fulfilled if not? You ready to go? Let's do this. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. When has that ever been the case for Israel? Is not Israel still training for war? They're always in war. Who in the world? Do you see a lot of nations streaming to Israel to find out the truth? No, nobody streams to Israel. Nobody wants to be involved in the conflict. No one wants to be around such a dangerous area. As a matter of fact, it's always in turmoil. When have they now beat their spears into... Do you understand? When are they starting to do just regular work in total peace? I've never seen it. Not in their history since the monarchy. Which was who? Saul, David, Solomon. That was way before this was written. That was already done. When was this fulfilled? Let's go to chapter 9, verse 6. This is perhaps one of the most familiar or popular passages in all of Isaiah. You'll be familiar with it. We talk about it in Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his what? Shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on what? David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, most of us would immediately just go, well, yeah, Jesus showed up. He's a Messiah in the lineage of David. And yeah, he was establishing a supernatural kingdom. What is, what's wrong with that? Because the Jews were pretty clear in their minds that he was going to sit on a physical throne. And they were really disappointed when he didn't. Let's move on to chapter 11, verse 1. Speaking of the Messiah, he said, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, that was David's lineage. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Let's pause. Do you remember when Jesus had a bunch of people that came and brought him civil disputes? And he said, who made me a judge over you? Why were they bringing him disputes? Why were they trying to help him settle matters because of these pr- prophecies? They said, you're the Messiah. You're supposed to be here and help solve us. So why don't you help figure this out? And Jesus said, hold on. Who do you think I am? They're like, well, you're the Messiah, right? You're supposed to do this stuff. He said, hang on to that. It says, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. You go, oh, that all sounds good. Uh, That was all Jesus. Verse six, the wolf will live with the lamb. The what? The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. Pause. When did that happen? Wait a second. The what? All the animals are going to hang out. Hey, everything's happy, right? And all the animals lie down together and you go, no, 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 that's heaven. It's heaven, is it? What's the next line say? And a little child will lead them. Uh Uh-oh. Are there little babies in heaven? Huh. Are they going to remain babies? Oh, just an eternal child. How's that going to work? It gets even more complicated. The cow will feed with a bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. Whoa, what? The infant, does that mean the baby was just born? The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, clearly not good parenting. (laughs) And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. And his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from, and it names a bunch of nations. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. When has that ever happened? Has he ever led like that on earth? Are you beginning to understand why the Jews were so disappointed? They knew these prophecies. They were very clear on what the Messiah was supposed to do. Jesus comes rolling into town and all the zealots immediately ran to his side. You guys remember what the zealots were? They were the Zionists. They were the guys that said, Israel or nothing. They would go out and kill. They would do whatever is necessary to make sure that Israel was on top. They immediately run to the Messiah and go, let's go. Let's go to war. Let's fight right now. Let's take over Rome. Let's establish your kingdom. You're going to be the one that's ruling from Jerusalem. Great. Let's put you on the throne. Boy, was Jesus a disappointment. Do you understand why it was so hard for a Jew to see Jesus as the Messiah? Do you understand it's still hard? There's some further reading you can do if you jot down your notes in Isaiah 30, 19 through 26 and 35, 1 through 10. Those all consistently keep this concept going. But let me read one more together with you. Isaiah 65, 17. Turn there. 
Isaiah 65:17. Let's just murky the waters a little bit more. When this passage begins, you're immediately going to think heaven. And you're going to see a parallel in the book of Revelation. But something's wrong. The pieces don't match. Isaiah 65:17 says this. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. You go, awesome, heaven. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Okay, so are we going to have another Jerusalem? All right. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Are we in heaven? Why are people dying in heaven? Weird. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like an ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. When is that going to happen? Anybody got that one figured out in your stream of how everything's going to go, right? Talk about confusing. Man, we're all over the map now. Wait a second, we got this day where Jerusalem is now a major city. It seems to be here on earth, but the earth doesn't seem to look the same way we see it now. The animal whole kingdom is now beginning to alter and move. The land is no longer the same cursed land that we see. Yet people are being born, people are dying. This is not something that fits into the way we think of earth, heaven. So when is this going to occur? Is it possible that the passage we are about to read today in the book of Revelation is this time? Is it possible that there will be a thousand year reign of Christ here on earth when everything is different? Would you turn to Revelation chapter 20 verse 1? We are only going to go through 10 verses. It's a very short passage but an incredibly difficult concept to wrap your mind around. We just read the first 10 verses and we'll pray for it and get started. John says, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. You guys remember what happened last time we were together? What happened? The battle of Armageddon. Do you remember that? That was when the false prophet and the beast or the antichrist, they were thrown into the lake of fire there was that war over the big attack jesus came down jesus has showed up and he defeated the enemy nations still people alive 
Jesus is now going to engage with them. This is what John saw next. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, holding the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth and surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is astounding and it's too much for us to understand. It's beyond us, and yet, Lord, we have to piece together some of this. You've given us uh, intellect, intelligence, wisdom to try to sort. But God, as much as we're not going to know everything, would you please let us know what we need to know? There are many details that will escape us, but I don't think that's important. I think, God, if we can just begin to see you as you are, that would be enough. Show us what we must do in our hearts to prepare for what you will do show us what you desire of us and may we be transformed into your image because of your word holy spirit teach us today in your name we pray amen six times in seven verses is the phrase a thousand years we know it as a millennium why because in latin Milla is a thousand, annum is years, thousand years. So we refer to it as the millennium. What is it? Has it already occurred? Are we living in it now? Will it be future? What's it going to look like? These are all things that we're guessing on. There are three primary views that scholars have gone into camps about. I've shared those terms with you early on, but I'm going to bring them out to you again because it's timely now. So here are your three most common options. Do you need to accept any one of these? No. No, but you need to have a biblical view on what's going to go on. So I, I offer you the three most common. The first one is called amillennialism. Amillennialism. What does it mean? It means no millennium. And the concept is this. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross and took over power over the enemy, had the keys to death and hell, he defeated the enemy and he launched a brand new way of living. 
that now we are in the new covenant that launched a millennium of sorts, meaning symbolically Satan was bound. The strong man was bound and the believers are free to plunder his kingdom. And ultimately we are living in the state of freedom. And then finally Jesus Christ will come and will close up shop. That is all millennialism. There are brilliant people that believe that. The second option is called post-millennialism. That is the concept that after Jesus inaugurated certain things on the cross, things will get better and better. The gospel will move out and it will change more and more people's lives. Little by little, the earth will begin to get more and more moral, more and more in line with God's kingdom. And ultimately, through the power of Christ, the church will dominate the earth by bringing about a desired effect to have the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus will return. Your third option is called premillennialism. That is the idea that it has not happened, that Satan is still roaming around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. We are still being attacked and under persecution. And ultimately, in the future, Jesus Christ will return, inaugurate a thousand-year literal reign of Christ on earth from Jerusalem. The earth will be transformed in its nature. A portion of the curse will be removed from nature and jesus christ will lead his people for a thousand years at the end of that time there will be a final testing period and then things wrap up there you go so which one is it there's arguments for all three there's brilliant people on every side so let's try to narrow the field down Um, by the way you can believe any of those and we can still have fellowship you understand we can completely sort that out um however As your pastor, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pull one off the table. All right. Um, Should I? Probably not, but I'll do it anyway. I'm not buying post-millennialism. All right. That's the idea that the world's getting better. I'm just not seeing it. I don't think it's biblical. I think that it's a bad idea. And I think it's going to give people a really bad idea on how they live their lives. However, there are very popular teachers that are trying to talk about uh, kind of legislating morality and forcing Christianity upon the earth. Um, I understand their reasoning. However, I disagree with them. So I would suggest to you that you're not going to hear post-millennialism taught at this church. It's just not something I think is biblical. All right, that leaves us two other options. Either one, I completely see the arguments for. First of all, amillennialism, the idea that it's all symbolic, that Christ did a huge work on the cross and we've been living in freedom ever since. All right, here's the arguments for it. I have a very high view of what happened on the cross. Do you? I mean, does it not seem that it was there that he conquered death, hell, the enemy? Is that not the most significant event in what? All of what? Reality? All of natural, all of supernatural Jesus Christ, what he accomplished there is tremendous, is amazing. So is it possible that he inaugurated a brand new way of living and that ultimately it's just going to be him returning and we finish up? Are we living in the millennium in a spiritual sense? It's very possible, very possible. All right, because I have a high view of that. I don't tend to lean that way. Why? Because Satan doesn't seem completely bound to me. As a matter of fact, I believe that the Bible is very clear that not only is he attacking and persecuting us now, but he's going to continue to get worse. As a matter of fact, the whole end times in the tribulation is the whole idea that the Antichrist is going to rise up and tear the church apart. 
if we're here or tear any believers that come to a knowledge of Christ. That's what tribulation martyrs are all about. So as far as the idea that there will not be a literal reign of Christ, I don't think even fits into the chronology of the book. I think that the literal reign of Christ seems to be suggested most often from the context. Therefore, I tend to lean to the premillennial side, that it is a future kingdom. Problem is, it's weird to me. I don't understand how to resolve it in my mind. The whole thing seems bizarre, because really this is what it's saying. We're going to be cooking through our lives and there's this big tribulation and maybe the church is pulled out. Maybe it's not. Jesus Christ comes back. There's a big battle, right? We all learned about the Armageddon battle. Oh, fight, fight, fight. Jesus shows up. Yay, he wins. Throws them away. Then he goes, wait, hold on. Before we go to heaven, let's do a big long pause called a thousand year reign of Christ. I don't want to do the heaven thing quite yet, so let's go ahead and do a different thing. So now we're going to, I'm going to be here on earth for another thousand years, or whether or not a thousand years is symbolic of a long period of time, however you want to view that. Jesus is here leading. Then he releases Satan again. Satan gets a chance to go out, deceive a bunch of people. Ooh, they all assemble for war. God burns them all up. Then we get to go to heaven. And along the way, you're like, who's going? Who's dying? Who's raising the dead? What's, what's happening? Am I in? Am I out? Am I there? What's going on? Now all of a sudden it's people are living longer. The animals are all cool with each other. Now everybody's a vegetarian. What in the world? (laughs) I believe that ultimately the millennium fulfills four primary issues. Four primary issues that I think are important. And you will see a bunch of my theology come out here. Number one, I believe that the millennium is primarily about Israel. I believe that it's fulfilling the promises that God made to them a long time ago. Remember all the things that you just heard in Isaiah? Those were to the Jews. When are they going to have that fulfilled? Because if God just skips over that promise, we have a problem. Because God is faithful in all of his promises. When is that going to go down? As much as we like to symbolize the idea of Jesus being on the throne, the Jews were very clear that at some point the Messiah would sit on a physical throne and they couldn't wait for that time. Is that what is going to occur? Number two, we will have a worldwide display of God's glory by freeing the earth from its bondage. It's interesting, in Romans chapter 8, it says that the, the earth eagerly awaits to be freed from its bondage and you go yeah that's in heaven that's what you're waiting for actually the earth is going to be destroyed and completely rebuilt for heaven so the earth's not going to be freed from anything the earth's just going to be a brand new one so is this the time that the earth is freed from its bondage what would that look like we've already seen a picture of what it would look like guess what it looks like looks a lot like what adam and eve lived in which is the idea that the earth no longer resists you, that there is some joy in the work, that it begins to yield its fruit, that it's not a frustrating place, but it's a place of long life and a place of prosperity and joy. Number three, I believe that it uh, gives time for the saints to reign with Christ as a reward. Remember we all had that big discussion, when are we going to reign, who are we going to reign over, blah, 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 blah. 
this is the scenario because there's still people on earth and Israel is being dealt with. There are people growing up in that time, being born in that time that do not know Christ. He's going to be physically there. But you can tell that when Satan gets out, he deceives them pretty easily. Did you notice that? Even after having Jesus on earth the whole time, he can deceive them like that. Just like the Garden of Eden. Right? But finally, number four, and the most important reason. Is the idea that man cannot be saved apart from grace. What do I mean? I mean the idea that you can't blame it on the devil anymore. He's bound and locked down. Everybody thinks they're good. You sure? What if Jesus himself was here on earth and having everything go according to plan? Would that make us all Christians? Nope. Never underestimate the wickedness in the heart of man. Even if everything was awesome, you still can be deceived. We need the mercy and grace of Christ no matter what. It's not our environment. That's not the problem. It wasn't the problem for Adam and Eve. It's not going to be a problem then. This is a final demonstration of saying, listen, I know you keep making excuses. Devil made me do it. Our world's not like we wanted. Jesus isn't here. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to throw it all out there. Now you ready to go? No, look at your heart. You just turn around and walk away from me like that. Don't you understand what I'm trying to accomplish here? This is a final demonstration of the absolute need. For Jesus Christ to transform us from the inside out. This is our final lesson before we head into eternity. Is that possible? It's all I got. I don't know, but it's what I see. Let's look at the passage as we close. John said, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven. Now, when you notice that John has these visions, there are two places where things happen, heaven and earth. So if he's coming out of heaven, where's he going? Earth. So he's coming down to earth for what purpose? It says he has the key to the abyss and he's holding in his hand a great chain. What's the abyss? It's a dynamic, dynamic, demonic prison is what I was trying to say. It's a supernatural jail. How do demons feel about the abyss? They're a little freaked out by it. How do we know that? When Jesus was on earth and came face to face with a demon-possessed man, the demon screamed out, Have you come here to torture me before the appointed time? Please don't send us into the abyss. Let us go into the pigs. Do you remember that story? They are scared to death of the abyss. Why? Because that's a jail. They're locked down. They can't get out. We've seen things in Revelation rise up out of the abyss when it's opened. Bad stuff comes out of there. Now we're shoving something in there, right? And locking it down. What is going on? Having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who's the devil or Satan. There you got four terms for him. Everybody clear who we're talking about? All right. And bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. 
Now, a lot of people are going, well, I don't know if it's a literal thousand year reign that a lot of a lot of the numbers are not really specific in Revelation. Hold on. God knows how to use the word short time. So couldn't he just use the word long time? He's pretty good at using phrases. So if he says a thousand years, it might well be a thousand years. Yes, but thousand years is ten uh, multiplication of ten and ten is the complete number. Okay. You're right. It could be just a really long time. However, I think he might have said a really long time. Okay, moving on. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Who's that? The only ones we know for sure are the apostles. Why? Because everybody was clear when they were walking with Jesus that they were going to sit on thrones. Do you remember the whole, hey, can I sit on your right? Can I sit on your left? That debate they had. And Jesus said, hold on. Where you sit is the father's decision. Stop asking me on that. Yeah, you'll sit on thrones and you'll judge with me. But don't ask me where you're going to sit. I don't know that. The disciples at least. However, is it possible that they are symbolic of the dead in Christ? Those of us that have died in the Lord or maybe perhaps raptured up. Is it possible that we will reign with Christ during that time? What is that going to look like? I do not know. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. We at least know the martyrs come to life. They are reigning with Christ. Is that a reward? Seems to be. That they get a chance to reign with Christ. Is there anywhere in the Bible that says we will reign? Yeah, it's all over the place. Who are we going to reign? Perhaps it's this place right here. As a matter of fact, it says that we will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Is this the time that we will do that? Hmm. The rest of the dead did not come to life till the thousand years were ended. Who's that group? You got two choices. Either it's the rest of the believing are going to come to life later to go to heaven. Or it's merely the wicked that are brought to life merely for the sake of judgment and to go away. Maybe it's all of them. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death, which is the lake of fire, has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Okay, is everybody clear that when Satan goes in the pit, he brings in all his buddies? I don't know why they're following him. I don't know if it's like a Pied Piper or they just vacuum them all up. I don't know. But clearly it seems that the demonic is removed as well. But it says what? He will go out to deceive the nations. These are all the people that are living still on the earth during this millennial period. People being born. Many different lives going out. Goes out to the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog. What is a Gog? I understand it's similar to a Magog. What's a Magog? All right. What is it? In Ezekiel, there was a prophecy that talked about a location and a leader, Gog and Magog. And it became a phrase that the Jews would use for anyone that was an enemy of God. So all it means is enemies of God. All right. So then the enemies will gather for battle in number. They are like the sand on the seashore. Boy, that's a lot of people that are willing to turn on Jesus. This is a, there's a bunch of battles at the end. We always think that Armageddon was the only one. It's not. 
We have this one going. This is just satanically led. This is just Satan leading everybody to go, I'm sick of this Jesus guy. Yeah, I get it. You're a Jew. You're in Israel. You're running the show. You know what? I'm tired of you telling me what to do. I'm tired of your yoke upon my neck. I want to live for me. I want to be my own person. And I'm sick of you. And I will fight to get you out. Who in the world would dare to fight against God? Oh, that's right. Lucifer did it last time. And he's in charge of this one. A lot of rebellion. They march across the breadth of the earth and surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. What city is that? Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. All right. That was it. Remember I told you all God's fights are lame. The enemy is like, ooh, look at me, I'm big and bad. He goes, burn. And then they're all done. Fire came out of heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they, plural, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Why is it important that they is plural? Because it's not just Satan who's burning. Who's the el- who else is burning? The beast and the false prophet. How long have they been there? A thousand years. Does the Bible teach annihilation, that once you go to hell, you just poof and disappear? Nope thousand years later you're still burning ouch what are we supposed to take from this i think there's a lot i think the idea that jesus christ will come and guide his people is important i think the fact that god is faithful to nation of israel is important i think the fact that over and over you see that the battles are no big deal to god is important I think when you see the protection of God, I think when you see the love of God and the compassion of God, we should be changed. Do we have it all figured out? No, we don't. What's it going to look like? How's it going to go? Don't know. But I know that Jesus is king. I do know that we are headed towards a glorious kingdom. I do know that that which is so frustrating in this life will be done away with. I do know that we are headed towards glory. I do know that the hope for the future keeps me going today. And we have a settled joy because of what we know. May God be praised in us. Would you close with me with prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for today that, Lord, our minds are spinning with possibilities and questions and wonderment. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to settle on those pieces that are valuable for your growth in us. That, Lord, there are many things that we could have caught, but I would just hope, Lord, that you would help us sift through those and hang on to the ones that make us love you and love other people more. For we are not to be merely men and women of intellect, but we are to be men and women of transformation. Oh, God, guide us and prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.